I'm glad you're here today. How many people are ready for God's Word? Come on, are you ready for God's Word? I, I honestly want to give a shout-out welcome to people in our city, and we have, we have congregants that are elderly that can't come out. They say, we are in this service every Sunday morning, and they, they've asked me to wave to them, so I'm waving to you right now. And uh, we've got people in our province and across the country and globally around the world that have joined in today, and we are really honored that you've chosen to be a part of this service. Well, we're in our February sermon series, and we're calling it Unlikely. And we discovered last Sunday that the word unlikely simply means not expected to happen. It's not expected to happen. It is unlikely. Unlikely also means improbable. It's just in the natural, I mean, it, it, the odds would say it's just not going to happen. Well, today we're going to explore an unlikely encounter, an unlikely encounter that actually happened in a cave. And it's an encounter that's unlikely between a man in the Bible named David and another man in the Bible named Saul. And it's found way back in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 24. So if, you, if you've got your Bible or your handheld device, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you don't have your Bible today, you will see the scripture up on the screen. And uh, maybe this is your first Sunday today and you're just coming into the sermon series. Maybe you haven't been here for a long time. All of our sermons are online. You can go to our church website. They're archived there. You can download them. It's all there. And we encourage you to track along with us. Well, I want to walk you through three things this morning. Number one, as we're talking about this, this, this encounter of David and Saul in a cave, we're going to look at how you behave in a cave. And we're going to look, number one, at the injuries, the injuries of David's life. The injuries of David's life, not the physical injuries, but the emotional injuries that happen in David's life. And Saul, I mean, I mean here's David. David was, a, David was a hated man, and David was a hunted man. He was hated by Saul, and he was hunted by Saul. Saul did not like David because David was everything that Saul wasn't. David had everything that Saul didn't have. I mean, David had the favor of the people. He had taken down Goliath, and everyone was singing his accolades. They were saying, Saul has slain the thousands, but David has slain the ten thousands. They were giving all their praise to David, and Saul didn't like that. And David was living under the blessing of God, and Saul didn't like that. So he was hunting down David. He wanted to take down David, and he hated David. He was jealous for David. He was always running after David. And when you read 1 Samuel chapter 23, you will see that, that Saul was on the rampage to take down David. He was chasing down David. Number one, we want to see the injuries, the injuries of David's life. And so I, I want to I read to you verse 1 and verse 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 24. Let's get right to the scripture. It says, after Saul, this is verse 1, returned from pursuing the Philistines. I mean, the Philistines were the enemy of God's people. And it was all now calming down. And Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines. He was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. And so in verse 2, we learn that Saul took 3,000 able young man from all Israel, and he set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now, if you went to Israel today and you went into the desert of En Gedi and you saw the mountains that were along the shore, you would see that these mountains were often made of limestone and you would see a lot of goats on the mountains and uh, there's goats there and, and, and David's hiding somewhere in the, in, in, in the desert of En Gedi. And uh, they come to the crags of the wild goats. A crag is just a rocky place. And, and, and Saul is trying to find David because he wanted to remove the threat in his life. He wanted to get rid of David. He hated David. And he was hunting down David. And David's like, why me? Why me? David hadn't done anything wrong. Have you ever had somebody not like you, not because you've done something wrong, but they don't like you because you're doing something right? And here's David living a godly, honoring life. He's trying to do his best. 
He's trying to walk with God. I mean, the shepherd boy is now growing up, and, and he's just trying to live a real good, honoring God life. And, and he's trying to put God first. And Saul is mad because David is walking under the blessing of God. There will be people in your life that don't like you because they see blessing on your life. They don't like you because they see the favor of God on your life and they're jealous for you, about you. And they, they want something bad to happen to you, not something good. This was Saul. And so number one, I want you to notice the, the injuries, the hurt, the hurt. That, can you imagine you're David, you're on the run. Like, why me? Why do I have to run for my life? Why do I have to hide in a cave? Why do I have to go into the desert? Why, why can't I just enjoy life? Number one, the injuries of David's life. He was, a, he was a hunted man, and he was a hated man. Then there's number two. I want to zero in on the illusions of David's life. And an illusion is your, your perception. And sometimes the way you see things is not always the way that it really is. And we're going to notice in a couple of moments two kinds of perceptions. Number one, we're going to look at the, the illusion or the perception of uh, the illusion or the perception of reputation. And number two, we're going to look at the illusion or the perception of revenge and, and your reputation. And, and so we're going to get right to it, and I'll explain it. And I want to read to you verse 3 and verse 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 24. Look at verse 3. He came to the sheep pens. So here's, here's Saul. He comes to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And there's a lot of caves. And these caves aren't little caves. They're huge caves. I mean, I'm told when you walk into these caves, it'd be a narrow little entrance, but then it got really big, and there'd be these crevices that would go way, way back. They're huge, humongous caves. Don't picture a little cave in the rock. Picture, picture a huge cave with lots of little running walkways and going, going way, 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 way back. And, and so Saul comes to the sheep pen along the way, and a cave was there. And the Bible says that Saul went in to relieve himself. You, you, you know what that means, don't you? I mean, he'd probably been drinking lots of water because he's out in the desert. And the more water you drink, you know what's going to happen. And so here he is. He's got, he's got 5,000 able, capable, the best of the best, the armed of the armed soldiers because he's got 5,000 of them and he wants to take down David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 23, you learn that David had 600 men with him. So here you got Saul with 5,000, and here you got David with just 600 men. I mean, they're hugely outnumbered. And, and, and here's Saul, and, and he's, he, gets to this, he gets to this cave, and he comes to the cave, and he goes in to relieve himself. He's like looking at the guys. You stay out here. I need to go in here just for a couple moments. I won't be long. And he goes in to relieve himself, and it says David and his men were far back in the cave. David's in the cave with 600 men. Now, it's a big cave to have 600 men in a cave. And he's way back in the cave. And here's Saul trying to get a little private moment. I mean, he just wants to relieve himself. And he's in there all alone. And here's David way back in the cave. And they look like you can't plan this. There's all these caves. Why this cave? Why this cave did Saul go in? And Saul goes in this cave, and David's in that cave. And you couldn't plan it. It's an unlikely encounter. I mean, you couldn't scribe this. You just cannot scribe it. So the Bible says that Saul went in to relieve himself, and David and his men were far back in the cave. Look at verse 4. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands. For you to deal with as you wish. Picture David there and all, all the boys are saying, come on, Davy, Come on, David. This is the day that God spoke about. This is the day you can take down Saul. I mean, he's been chasing you down. Now God's ordered this moment. Now, here's what you got to hear this morning. You will never find in the Bible that God said that. You can't find a verse. There's not a verse there that God said this is the day. I mean, they're misapplying something and saying, God has ordered this moment. So come on, David, you go take down Saul. This is the moment. Take him down. Take him down. Take him down. You're the man. You're a hero. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. 
It's like his reputation was on the line that if he didn't do it, he'd be pure weak. If he did do it, he'd be pure strong. But I think we know strength is not found in doing what's wrong. Strength is found in doing what is right. And sometimes strength means you've got to restrain yourself. And here's all these 600 guys go, come on, David. This is your moment. Take them down. Go get them. The illusion, the illusion of reputation. And then the illusion of revenge. I mean, if you let it play inside your heart and your mind, it's like, wow, I could end this once and for all. I mean, I mean, Saul deserves for me to take him. He's trying to get me. I, I'm going to get him. Um, he deserves this. He deserves this. I mean, you could play it out in your head. You could rationalize it in your head. And you, you could, you know, you could try to do that. Now, now I want you to notice what, what happened here. Put it back up on the screen. This is the latter part of verse 4. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, here's the way I think it played. Here's how I think it played out. I think David and the boys are way back in the cave. And Saul and all his thousands of guys are coming along. He drank a lot of water. And he's got to go in and relieve himself. So you guys stay here. I'm going to the cave. He goes in the cave. And he takes off his royal robe. It was a large robe. And he takes off his royal robe. And I could picture him just putting the robe nicely over here and walking over there and doing his thing. And here's David way back in the cave. And the guys are saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. And David sneaks up unnoticed. And Saul doesn't see him. And he bends down and he gets his knife and he cuts off a quarter of the royal robe. And he runs back to the guys. That's how I think it played out. Number one, the injuries of David's life. Number two, the, the, the illusions of David's life, the, the illusion of reputation, the illusion of revenge. But I say a lot to take you to where I want to take you today. I want to zero in on number three. This is where I'm taking you today. I want to talk to you for a few moments about an, a word that needs to be redeemed in the church. I want to talk to you about integrity. I want to talk to you about the integrity of David's life. I want to talk to you about, about, about the goodness of David's life. I want us to see that, that David was put to the test. And, and God was shaping him. And God was preparing him. And we're going to see the integrity of David's life. And so the first thing I want to zero on is the integrity of his character. The integrity of his character. And I want to take you to verse 5, down to verse 7. I mean, I mean, David had just snuck up. He cut off a corner of the robe, and, and Saul didn't see him, and he runs back to the guys, and he's there. And then all of a sudden, integrity of character began to kick in. Look at verse 5. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. When it says conscious stricken, it means he was cut to the heart. Now, I studied, well, what's, what's the big deal? I mean, he, he cuts off a corner of the, of the robe, like whatever. And Saul puts his robe back on, and now he's wearing a miniskirt or something. I don't know. And I don't know. I don't know how it all played out. I mean, is it just like a little college prank? Was David just like, what's the big deal? Until you realize that the royal robe represented the office of the king. The royal robe was symbolic of kingship. And Bible scholars say when, when he took his knife and bent down and cut off a, the corner of the robe and, and he runs back with a piece of the robe, it was a symbolic transfer in the wrong way of the kingship from Saul to David. And, and David's back there with the boys holding on to a little, little bit of the robe and it's wrong. It's like you're trying to steal the kingship from Saul. You're trying to cut the kingship away from Saul. But there's another thing that we often miss, that the corner of the royal robe, according to the Old Testament scripture, 
scriptures would have tassels on the bottom. And, and so when, when, when David cut off the corner, it says, it doesn't say the bottom, it says the corner of the royal robe. He was deframing the tassel on the robe, the corner of the robe. He was deframing it. It was, it was wrong. It, I mean, you might call it a college prank. You might call it no big deal, but it was wrong what David did. He should never have done it. Now, here's what I love about David. David was conscious stricken right away. I mean, it didn't take two weeks for it to sink in that he was wrong. He did it and he goes back and he goes, man, I was wrong. I don't know about you, but I want to be conscious stricken and broken in my heart the moment I do something wrong. I want the conviction of God to sweep in my heart the moment I do something wrong. I see here integrity in David because the integrity of his character is found in verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7. So let me read it. Let me read it. Verse 5, after David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his rope. Verse 6, he said to his men, The Lord, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him. For he's the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, verse 7, David, David just didn't just rebuke. He sharply rebuked his man, and he didn't allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Here's what I picture. Here's what I think went down. I think, I think Saul finished doing his business, and Saul gets out of the cave, and David says to the 600 guys, hey, guys, what I did was wrong. What I did was wrong. I should never have gone up, and I forbid you. This guy is the Lord's anointed. I should never even have cut off the corner of his robe. I was wrong, and I repent of it. I'm, I'm wrong. I'll tell you, church, that's integrity. Integrity, when you mess up, you fess up. Integrity is when you mess up, you fess up, and then you dress up. And you start to do what is right and honoring again. So I want you to see the integrity of his character. Now, here it is. Here's where I'm taking you. I want to take you now to number two. I want to talk to you about the integrity of his confrontation. And I want to walk you through some teaching in our final moments. This is what really gripped me in this story because I see some incredible biblical principles of how to respond in life when somebody has wronged you. Now, let let me be upfront. I'm not responsible for your actions, and you're not responsible for my actions. And I'm not responsible for your reactions, and you're not responsible for my reactions, but I am responsible for my own actions, and I'm definitely responsible for my own reactions. And so here I see David teaching us some biblical principles, biblical steps of how to properly respond when you feel wrong. You ever been overlooked for a job? You thought it was yours? only to discover that that other person got it and they don't have as much education as you and they're definitely not as smart as you. I mean, it's not fair. Have you ever felt like somebody wronged you? Now, here's the deal. The closer the person is to you, the deeper the hurt happens when you feel wronged. You may not know this. You may not know this, but Saul was David's father-in-law. I mean, he had married Saul's daughter. And his father-in-law is out to take him down. How many people know that's not a good day? That's not a good day. I mean, he chased him, running after him. He's hated, he's hunted, wants to kill him, wants to destroy him. And the moment comes and he's in the cave. Take him down, take him down. And he cuts off a bit of the robe and he's conscience-stricken. And we see the, and we see the integrity of his character. But, but let me walk you quickly through some Biblical principles of how to properly respond when you feel wronged. And look at this way, please. Everybody in life will feel wronged, hurt. The question is, what do you do with that hurt? What do you do with that offense? Seven quick things. Number one, and they're not easy. I, I need to tell you, this, this is not easy teaching. Number one, David, David took the first step. David took the first step. And I see that in verse 8, because it says in verse 8, then David went out of the cave 
and called out to Saul. Now think about it for a moment. He's calling out to the guy who hated him and was hunting him down and wanted to kill him. And David, David went out of the cave and called. It doesn't say David and all the boys went out of David. I'm picturing David going out on his own out of the cave. Saul, and Saul's got these thousands of men. It's a risk to call out to the one who's trying to hurt you. Think about it. It will be a risk to do the right thing. And if you wait for the other person to make the first step, it may never happen. I pray that God would help us to rise up to a higher spiritual plane that we will take the first step to restore a broken relationship. Number one, David took the first step. Number two, I like this one, David honored Saul. David honored Saul. And in the the middle part of verse 8, after he calls out to Saul, he said, my Lord, the king, he honored him. Now, there's an old army saying, and if you've ever been in cadets, you've ever been in the army, served in any capacity, you know this, you do not salute the man, you salute the rank. You salute the position. And sometimes it's hard to honor someone who's over you when they have hurt you. It's hard to honor the boss when the boss has been cruel to you. It's hard to honor your spouse when they've hurt you. It's hard to honor somebody. It's, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard to give honor when you feel dishonored. And when you feel dishonored, the human nature is to return back what you have received, right? Evil for evil. But the Bible says when you feel dishonored, you respond with honor. Are you hearing me this morning, church? When someone gives you evil, you give them good. When they give you hate, you give them love. I mean, honor elevates. Dishonor decimates. Honor brings good. Honor is when you find the good and you release the blessing. I mean, come on, come on, here's David. I mean, Saul's out to get him. He's, he's hounded and he's hunted and he's hated and, and he's chasing, he's running for his life. Come on, man, I'm running for my life. Now I'm in a cave and, and Saul, my Lord, the king. Number two, honor is a key principle. Then there's number three. The third thing I want you to notice is that David humbled himself before Saul. Humble speaks of humility. And the opposite of humility is, say the word with me, it starts with the letter P, ends in the letter E, and has an R-I-D in the middle. You got it? The opposite of, of humility is, what is it? Say it loudly. Pride repels. Humility attracts. Anybody like spending a long time with someone who just brag, 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 brag. It's more fun to be with someone who's dripping with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. Humility says, I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect. God is still working on me. Clothe yourself with humility. And David humbled himself before Saul. Look what happened here. You'll see it on the screen. When Saul, I mean, David called out to him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. David's David's doing one of these. He got himself in the lowest position he could get. He lowered himself to express his humility. And I'll tell you, friends, if you want to restore brokenness, drip with humility. Humility is the glue that brings restoration in brokenness. Oh, man, these are amazing principles. Number number one, he took the first step. Number two, he honored Saul. Number three, he humbled himself before Saul. And then there's number four. Number four, write this in your notes. He spoke the truth concerning the situation. I mean, he, 
He spoke the absolute truth. I mean, some people think, well, if we bring restoration, does that mean I have to pretend that nothing happened? No, no, no. When you've been hurt, own the fact that you've been hurt. You've got to speak the absolute truth, but speak it with humility. Speak it with brokenness. Speak it, speak it with honor. And that's what, that's what David did here in verse 9 and verse 10. So let me, let me, let me read it to you, verse 9 and verse 10. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? Why? Why? It's almost like David is saying, I, I don't want to hurt you. Why are you listening to people? They're, they're not telling the truth. Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? Look at verse 10. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some of my men urged me to kill you, but I, I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hands on my Lord because he's the Lord's anointed. When someone has hurt you and offended you, own it and express it. And when someone shares with you that they've hurt you, that they've been hurt by you, give them the freedom to share. How Now, here's, 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 the way I, here's how it plays out in my life. Sometimes people will come to me and sometimes it's my wife. and She'll say, you hurt me. Come on, am I, is anybody, anybody had your spouse hurt you before? Come on. Nobody? Am I the only marriage where that's happened? Yeah. And then, you know, everyone will say, you hurt me, you did this. And I'm like, no, I didn't. That's my first initial high D personality reaction. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I mean, we were dating and I'd travel all the way to Toronto and from Goderich and very little money in my pocket and said, honey, I want to take you out for supper. Where do you want to go? And she said, I don't know. You decide. So I'm a Heidi person. I decided. I said, let's go to Swiss Chalet. She said, no, I don't want to go there. So I'm, I'm upset because she's attacking me. Like, you told me you don't care. So I make it. You do not, you do not like my decision. You know, when you scrape deeper, what she was really saying to me, if you really knew me and loved me, you know where I'd want to go. Ladies, look this way. We are not the smartest people on earth. We cannot read between lines. Tell us where you want to go for supper. Do not play games with us. All the men this morning said, Amen. Yeah. You hurt me. Give them the privilege to share how they feel. Whether it's real or not, it's how they feel. Whether you meant it or not, it's how they feel. You see, here's the way I look at it. The devil is the prince of the air. At least today. And so I've got these thoughts in my head and in my heart, and I'm doing my best to get them out of my mouth and speak them and articulate them real clear in plain English so that you get them in your head and into your heart. But here's what happens in my marriage. It's in my heart, it's in my head, comes out my mouth, and the devil twists my words by the time they get into Evelyn's head and into her heart. Anybody relate to that? That's what the devil loves to do. And so we, you, David, David, spoke the truth concerning the situation, but he did so with, with love and humility and, and honor. But then there's number five. Number five. David took responsibility for his wrongdoing. He owned what he did wrong. And I see that in verse 11, and I want to read to you verse 11, because there I see that David took responsibility for his wrongdoing. He said, see my father. He doesn't call him king here. He calls him father, because this is father-in-law. See my father. Look, look, look at the piece of your robe in my hand. I can almost picture David feeling so conscious. I should have done it. I should have given you that mini skirt. I should have cut off the royal robe. It's wrong. See this piece of robe, my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe. 
I mean, I'm, I'm just reading it, and I don't think we hear the heart of it. And, and it's translated from Hebrew into English, and so sometimes we, we lose the mood and we lose the feel. And it's not just, it's, it's I, I, I got off the corner of your rope. Look at this. What's wrong? I cut off the corner of your rope, but I didn't kill you. I never wanted to kill you, Saul. There's nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I'm not rebellious. I shouldn't have cut off the corner of the rope, but I'm not rebellious. I'm not wronged you. But you're hunting me down, Saul, to take my life. Wow. It's, it's an unlikely encounter where he gets to unpack his feelings. Now, now, here's something that maybe you don't realize in the Bible. Samuel, the book of Samuel, records the history of David. But when you read the Psalms, it records the heart of David. Now, I don't have time to read it, but write down Psalm 57, Psalm 57, and write down Psalm 142, Psalm 57, Psalm 142, 57, 142, because both of those Psalms are written by David from his encounter in the cave. And in Psalm Psalm 142 and 57, he reveals his heart, and it's dripping. That's that's where I get these thoughts from. He's dripping with heart, like, I I didn't want to kill you, but you're hunting me down to take my life. Here David takes responsibility for his wrongdoing. But then there's number six. And I want you to write this in your notes. Number six. He ultimately surrendered his offense to God. Stop trying to get revenge. Sooner or later, you got to lay it down. Sooner or later, God, (laughs) I just give it over to you. Stop. Stop. You know, you know, I'll tell you what's going on. It's eating you up, and it's eating you up, and it's, it's in your mind. You wake, you get up in the morning, think, you go to bed thinking about it. It's, it's consuming you. Sooner or later, you just got to let it go in Jesus' name. My granddaughters, five, three, and one, our youngest one-year-old, she just started to speak. Her fourth word was Alexa. I thought that was interesting. When Nora was like two and a half, three years of age, she'd run through our family room singing that Frozen song. Let it go. Let it go. I should have had her on the platform as our special music today. Let it go. Let it go. Give it over to God. Just let it go. Yeah, but you don't. Let it go. But Mark, let it Go. Let it go. Let it go. I mean, people, it's eating them up, and the person who has offended them doesn't even know that, and they're carrying it, and they've carried it for you. Don't, don't take it to the grave. Let it go in Jesus' name. Let it go. Let it. Did I say let it go? <laughs> let it go. Why don't you look at verse 12, first part of verse 12. David said, may the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me. My hands will not touch you. Man, that's powerful. Let it go. Mark, my boss is horrible. Let it go. Mark, you don't know what my ex is doing. Let it go. You don't know what that name. Let it go. 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 I want to wrap this up. And I want to take you to... I want to take you to number seven and then to the final point. 2.7, David committed himself to doing the right thing. David committed himself to doing the right thing by letting it go. And I just want to read the latter part of verse 12 down to verse 15. I'm going to read it quickly, so you've got to really listen. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. I mean, evildoers, evil deeds. So my hands will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out 
Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea. May the Lord be our judge to decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hands. David committed himself to doing the right thing. Now, I want to wrap this up with the final point. I want to talk to you lastly about the integrity of his consolation. And I want you to see what happened here. It's powerful. I mean, this, this, these are the most moving verses of this entire text. And I'm going to read it in our concluding moments. Verse 16, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, is, is that your voice, David, my son? That's powerful. Saul was chasing him down to kill him, but now he says, David, my, my son, and he wept aloud. There's a, there's a breaking, there's a brokenness. In verse 17, you're more righteous than I, he said. You've, you've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. Verse 18, you have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away and harm? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king. And the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Saul is realizing that David's going to be king. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my family's father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Now I want you to notice this. Then Saul returned home. And David and his man went back to the stronghold. And I want to emphasize the word stronghold because it wasn't over. Some people think when you walk the journey of forgiveness, it's a moment and it's over. There was still, David was still nervous about Saul, so he goes back to the stronghold. It was 1879. A guy by the name of Thomas Edison wanted to create a light bulb that lasted more than two hours. A year before, someone in England actually invented the light bulb, but he couldn't master it for more than two hours. He made it, and it went out. But Thomas Edison, we know, made the light bulb that that lasts. And he had a bunch of guys, and they, they didn't have these manufacturing machines, obviously, but they worked for 24, this is a true story, 24 hours making the light bulb. 24 hours. And they finish it, and they give it to a young little lad, one of the young boys, and said, take it upstairs. We're going to make another one. You probably know where this is going. And the young boy's walking up the stairs, and he trips. And he breaks the light bulb. And Thomas Edison's like, no. Okay, guys. Another 24 hours. They made another light bulb. Now, if I was Thomas, I'd have carried it upstairs myself the second time. You know what he did? He called the same young boy. He said, carry this one upstairs. You see, when you're truly forgiven, you learn to trust again. But I want to leave you with this, and I don't have time to unpack it. But David went back to the stronghold because when you read in the chapters ahead, it was not over, but there was a work in progress. But here it is. Here's what I want you to leave with. And I don't want you to forget this. You're not responsible for the other person's actions or reactions, but you're responsible for yours. And God is working on you, and he's working on me. And he wants us to drip with integrity and humility and brokenness. Somebody risk a little amen or praise the Lord in the house this morning. Come on up, man. Come on up, man. Come on, put your hands together and celebrate our Lord God. He's worthy. He's worthy of all praise. I want you to stand with me. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. that the teaching that we've looked at today would resonate in our spirit. 
I'm just asking God that, that some of this message this morning would really clinch our hearts. But I'm asking God that it would really change how we live. I'm asking God that you would help me to walk more in humility and in honor and in brokenness and rapid repentance. God, help me to rapidly repent when I mess up. I'm praying in the name of the Lord that this teaching would soak in our hearts today. And I'm asking God that you would bring it to life and you would apply it to our life situations. I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody's sad. Amen. Come on, Brad. There's a song that we're going to sing. Just lift your voice. Let's focus on Jesus in these final moments. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, Lord most high. Hidden glory in creation. And now revealed. begin to sing it. I want you to let go of the hurt. Let go of the offense. Just release it to God as we begin to sing to the Lord. Let it go and release it to God. I'm going 
be closed in just a couple of moments this service is going to come to a close but there are two things number one you're standing here today or you're watching on live streaming today and if today was the day that you stepped into eternity you died are you ready for heaven because you will live forever and the question is where will you spend eternity are you ready for heaven? I don't want you to walk out of this place going, I, I think I'm ready or I hope I'm ready. I want you to walk out of this place today knowing I'm ready for heaven. If this is the day I die, I know I'm going to heaven. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, Jesus. Jesus loved you so much, He went to a cross for you. He shed His blood for you. He gave His life for you. They put Him in a grave, and on the third grave, He arose to life, and He lives. Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems and challenges. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you've never asked Christ in your life, or maybe you did it one time, but you've turned your back on God, and today you want to settle it, I have no greater joy than leading you in a prayer of making your peace with God through Jesus Christ. And if you would like to be included and led in this prayer, all I want you to do after I count to three is just lift up your hand. And by lifting up your hand, you're letting me know, I want to be led in this prayer. I want Jesus to be the center of my life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, lift up your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, just lift your hand as high as you can. You need to put it down. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah. God bless you. Put your hands down. If you lifted your hand, I want to lead you in this prayer. And we're going to join you as you pray. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Today I make my peace with you. I repent of my sin. I confess you as my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your eyes, put your hands together, Whitvale, and can we celebrate, can we celebrate salvations? There's, there's a number of people who lifted their hand. If that's you, in a couple of moments on the way out, we got a Bible, a little booklet for you. Go to the wall that says follow. We have a class on Wednesday nights that can help you. But bow your heads one more time, please. I, I, just, I just feel before we close, we need, we need this solemn moment. And I'm not going to call you to the front. But I am going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. Because I, I just think by you responding to this is, is a step of release. But here it is. In just a moment, I'm going to pray before we go. But I'm going to pray specifically for people in the place that you know there's something you need to, you need to let go. And you're here today going, Mark, I hear the teaching and I, and I want to follow the steps, but I don't know if I can do this. I believe the Lord wants me to say, you just posture yourself to God and say, God, I want to do this. And, and he's going to take over and help you to do this. And I believe that this is going to be a watershed moment right now. I, I think something's going to break in this place over people's lives. So please, no one looking around. I, this, is, this is solemn. This is a moment. And if you're here today and you're like, I, I, I need to let it go. It's your spouse, your son, your daughter, your son-in-law, your daughter. I don't know who it is. Your boss, your neighbor. I, but there's somebody. Hurt people hurt people. You've been hurt by someone because they're hurting. You're not responsible for their action reaction, but you're responsible for yours. And today's the day to let it go. So if you want to be included in this closing prayer and you need to let it go, please, no one looking. I think I'm the only one right now looking. Just lift your hand. Yeah, I, yeah that's me, Mark. That's me. I, 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 need to look, I need to let it go. You can put it down after you put it up. You don't have to keep your hand up. Father God, I'm asking that you would help those that lifted their hand. God, I, I pray in the name of the Lord that we would own our part where we, we, maybe our attitude's not been good and we, we rapidly repent of that. Help, help each one of us to walk in humility and in honor, but God, help, help them to let it go. Help let it go. God, I, I just feel in my spirit, God, there's some people, they've been hurt so deeply and what's happened was so wrong. So wrong. 
But God, we're not going to take vengeance. Vengeance belongs to you, and we just let it go. God, you deal with it according to the way you should deal with it. We're, we're, we're just going to let it go. We're going to do our part. God, help these people who have lifted their hand to let it go in the name of Jesus and not walk out with the hurt. <laughs> we just give it over to you, Lord, and we give you praise. 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 Come on, put your hands together. We give you praise, Lord. Come on, Woodville. We give you praise, Lord. Pastor, just before we go, death has been broken. Amen. The grave is empty. Just sing that one part. Death could not hold. The veil tore before you. You saw this Did you believe that, friends? Put your hands together again and celebrate our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, Friday is Valentine's Day. You're sweating, aren't you? I I waited too late to book the restaurant. I can't take Evelyn out on Friday where I want to take her as books. So we're going Thursday and McDonald's doesn't count. All right. So I say that to say this. Pastor Marvin is... We've arranged for a little booklet for all married couples to help strengthen your marriage. We've got a gift for you on your way out, so take it and read it. Let it be a strength to you. And if you're our guest, could we one more time thank all of our guests for coming today? Yeah. I Drop by the guest lounge. We've got a gift for you. And if you accepted Christ, go to the follow wall. If you're not in a connect group, go to the connect wall. We want, we want you to get connected. God bless each and every one of you. Have a great day. God bless you.